Kevin Bowen here. Don't forget to listen to The Fan now on 93.5 or 107.5 FM. And check out our latest coverage online at 1075thefan.com. Finishing in prime time. Addy Bowen rolls over to me. All right, I should say, um, not to get too graphic on what happens in Maddie and I's bed. That's probably a hell of a way to start the <laughs> podcast. But, you know, I'm saying goodbye to her this morning, and she kind of mumbles, did the Colts win? And that's a very fair question after the last primetime experience. Yep. And I said, yes, they did. And then, you know, by 12 and the over, I, you know, I, I, I didn't say all that. But, yes, Colts win 3-4 and four on the year, uh, two straight. And, Chris, we talked about it last week. We certainly have talked about it on the Fan Morning Show. Got to steal one. Um, yes. I don't look at San Francisco as some juggernaut, but it is a road underdog situation for the Colts. And last week, I want to say, I've kind of come to the realization of, like, how do you get to 10-7? and 7? You're at 2-4. and four. We know the magnitude of this Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. But how do you get to 10-7? and 7? A loss last night to me would have been really difficult to see ten and seven being real realistic. I don't know what ten and seven is going to get you, but you got to get there and see what happens. See mm-hmm. what the wild card picture looks like. See what the division looks like. But to me, you got to get to double digit wins and see how everything else plays out. And that was much much needed and finished, which is what we'll get to here in a little bit. So Chris Presley with that and my long winded awkward intro. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, and and we'll also get to like you said, what will ten and seven get you? We do have some Twitter questions later on, hopefully, what that might get you, considering certain teams right now are starting to sputter that you didn't think necessarily out of the gate would. Some teams like Las Vegas doing a little bit better, um, but Kevin, you got a win on Saturday Yay. with Notre Dame, and you yeah. got a win last night. I know you're probably running on almost zero hours of sleep, considering it was a primetime game. We're good. We're good. I took a little one-hour nap on Sunday. Then all of a sudden, Rosie, ah! And I'm like, okay, all right, we're up. Uh, so tried to match up her nap with my nap, and uh, she decided to, to end it a little short. Got a little Children's Museum Haunted House edition in Sunday oh, afternoon. Nice. So, yeah, man, we were uh, we were ready to go for kickoff. I, I thought it was going to be a little bit crazier weather-wise. You know, Frank Reich, you mentioned after the game, the wind was not at the magnitude that he thought mm-hmm. it would be, obviously still rained a ton and looked absolutely awful but um it was army navy weather and it looked like san francisco's dbs looked like they were the passing offenses of army and navy trying to catch the football <laughs> it was just like whoa um but yeah I, I you know before i we get into what i like what what i didn't like who knows? Uh, will a playoff trip to Buffalo, will a playoff trip to Cincinnati, I don't even know if those are even going to happen, but will that lead to this sort of environment? Probably not. But this is what was on the schedule, and you got to handle the elements. And the Colts didn't handle it great the first, you know, really quarter, quarter and a half, but then they settled in. I mean, look at the penalty yardage. 70 yeah. yards less in penalties. Uh, turnovers, I think 4-2 to two was the final count. There, the Colts won that battle. And then I just thought they were better on fourth down. Uh, Sanchez, we, we won't get into the punt. It's a stupid rule. Ayuk, I, as soon as you touch the ball, the ball's live, in my opinion. But yep, anyways, I, um, I thought you punted well and and, and hat-tipped to Michael Badgley, who will hit on as well. So, you know, it's I think you can have some takeaways from this game. I don't think, unfortunately, it's like the cleanest-looking 60 minutes in terms of like, okay, you know, next week you're playing in a dome. <laughs> you know, that, That's just different. Um, but shit, man, when you're two and four, you can't afford to let them go. So you got it and you finished and, um, job well done. Yeah. And like you meant, like you just mentioned, we finished and that's one of the the key takeaways from that game going to three and four. Now, all of a sudden, a lot of people find you a little bit more respectable and you're heading into a game that I, you, you would say is a must win game. So, but finishing first part is the key. Yeah, obviously he didn't do it two weeks ago. And Darius Leonard talked after the game, after the Samuel touchdown, three plays, 70 yards, like you blink and you're like, oh boy, do I need to go wake up the family to watch this finish? 
it's uh, it's one of those things where Darius said he muttered to himself like, "Oh no, here we go again," and like that. I mean, boy, if that starts to snowball and that's the constant thinking of players on the field, that's not good. So um, you had to get out of that. You had to kind of find your way to um, not fall into that trap. And I thought there were several plays that were key in finishing. First off, Leonard two point conversion. Just psych. Obviously, scoreboard twenty twenty is different than twenty eighteen. I think psyche wise, it's so much different. San Francisco ties that game there. That stadium, who's left in there? It's buzzing a little bit. There's mm-hmm. a lot more pressure on that Colts offense. Uh, a lot more pressure on Michael Badgley's right leg when he's kicking that field goal to go up twenty three eighteen. The Badgley field goal. How about the second and fifteen scramble by Wentz? Yeah. I mean, we'll get into Wentz's legs here in a little bit, but a huge play there. Obviously, he kicked the field goal right down the pike, and then boom, Xavier Rhodes makes that play. Um, you know, Frank Wright didn't think Xavier was going to play after warmups. Uh, kind of gutted it out. Obviously, I think the conditions helped him a little bit, and just like the passing game wasn't as potent as it could have been. But great ball skills, I thought, on that play. And that's one where if it goes incomplete, it's fourth and three. Four Niners still have a chance to go for it there. I mean, that's. Very manageable situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, Michael Pittman on the third and ten. Just, I, I, I really appreciate There are definitely some areas where Frank Reich, I thought, made some mistakes last night. But I thought the third and ten decision and play call was one of his finer moments in a critical situation we've seen uh, with him as a head coach. And he talked after the game about how that Baltimore game on third and eight or whatever it was when they ran it, Taylor got stuffed, um, how he regretted that. And that was with a questionable kicker, and that was a play call of hope. Hoping you were going to win the game. Hoping a banged-up kicker would make a field goal. Hoping Baltimore wouldn't come back. Third and ten, take a shot to Pittman. That's saying, let's go win this bleeping game. Yeah. Um, you play to win the game, and, and I know that's a funny little bite, but it's so true. It's true, yeah. And that's what they did there. Um, I absolutely loved the play call itself. The screens weren't weren't working at all. But, you know, put yourself in San Francisco and D'Amico Ryan's shoes. You know, at that point, they're, they're thinking, all right, third and 10, 29-yard line, I believe it was, three, three minutes to go, something like that. Here comes a high-percentage completion. Try to get in better field goal range. Keep the clock running. Okay, what's a high percentage completion? A screen. You know, probably a screen. Now, should the blinders have been up a little bit when Pittman wasn't the one fielding the screen? Probably. But we know Pittman is a great blocker. Um, I love the chance. It is a horrific play on the ball by Dre Kirkpatrick. Again, at times, I don't know what the 49ers are doing in defending (laughs) passes. But if you remember, Chris, in the I think it was the first half, Colts ran a similar play, and that Mobley kid, four, I think it was Mobley. Um, Volunteer. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, sorry about that. Mosley. Uh, it would be nice <laughs> if I said his last name right. Uh, bear hugged him. You yeah. know, I don't know if he Both thought that was a Tennessee co-ed or what. He just bear <laughs> hugs Pittman, and, and, and that, that was a huge play. <laughs> Pass interference penalties were huge. But do we need again? You know, I just thought it shows adaptation. It shows learning from a play call. Does it stink, and should it take the Baltimore scenario to have what happened in San Francisco happen? No, but it did. So how do you learn? Are you going to be stubborn? Are you going to continue to do the same things over and over again, or are you going to adapt? Mm-hmm. Are you going to learn? And Frank Wright did that. Um, so major kudos to him. You know, I sat in that presser on Friday, and Frank was asked about, you know, the weather and wet balls and, 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 you know, the wind and all that stuff. And basically he said something to the effect of, like, you still have to throw it. You have to get a feel for the elements, and then you have to throw it. And I jotted that down, put it kind of bold, and threw it into my notes. And thinking to myself, hmm, that's interesting. I, I'll be curious to see how 48 hours from now what happens in the game if Mother Nature is as bad as it looked. And then you got Ursay tweeting out before the game, Coach Ursay saying, Run the football, baby. And, you know, it's like, all right, you know, coach, I, I certainly hear you out, and I and I think that is the right plan of attack. But, like, I'm not sure if your head coach necessarily falls in line with that. Mm-hmm. But I thought 
Frank realized once he got in there, all right, this wind is windy, but it's not insane. And I just don't trust these 49er DBs. And he knew they lead the league in pass interference penalties entering that contest. Michaels kept on saying second. No, they were first um, on a per-game basis. Challenge them. Make them make plays in chaotic situations when the field is not very favorable. And underthrows, whatever. I mean, they just, they were tackling Colts wideouts. And I thought the third and 10 play call was absolutely huge. And uh, and you iced it. You iced it. So, um, big time. How much of that do you think goes back to Frank playing in Buffalo where there was always terrible weather? And also, how do you feel like the Colts handled the elements? We saw a couple mishaps with Jonathan Taylor, which is rare. Yeah. I mean, I early know. in the game, yeah, early in the game, some some issues. Um, but I thought over the course of 60 minutes, they handled it better than San Francisco did. And I thought not only did your players handle it, I thought your sidelines handled it. Um, the Kyle Shanahan challenge, I'm like, what? I yeah, mean, how I big did. would that timeout have been late in the game there? So I didn't understand that at all. I mean, yeah, there are some nitpick things with Frank. I didn't like the time management at the end of the first half. I'm like, dude, make San Francisco punt it. You don't need to field the punt. Make them punt it. You don't have to put Hines back there. Sell out on the block. Take your timeouts. Force them to punt it. Chasing points a little bit early. Again, that, mm-hmm. just some nit, some nitpicking stuff there. But the fact that he you – know, Tony Dungy said before the game, Chris, I'm picking the 49ers because I don't think the Colts would be able to hit on their big plays. Mm-hmm. Made total sense to me. Now, I, I thought the Colts would, would win because Chris Sims is like, 49ers run it better than the Colts. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> um, and so I, I, I thought the Colts would win, but I understood what, what Dungy was saying there. And then all of a sudden – Frank Reich is saying, no, 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 we can, we can hit on this. It might not be completions, but, like, let's just see if we can tap into some of this. And you look at all your scores, man. All of them yeah. pretty much came off these big pass interference penalties or cashing in on turnovers. And that's, and that's another point to make of, like, you had two turnovers, the Colts. They scored three points off them. San Francisco had three kind of real turnovers. The Kari Willis pick is just a, you know <laughs> – Collinsworth almost had an aneurysm as soon as the ball was thrown. He was like, oh, God. <laughs> um, the first three turnovers, th- three touchdowns. Not just three scores, three three touchdowns. Right. So I thought that was a difference in the game, too. You already talked about Pittman a lot. Do you want to still speak on him? Yeah, about I do. how good his play was? I mean, the, we finally saw more and more 50-50 balls, more down the field. Right. He's really coming into his own. Yeah, yeah. Um, he is um he's impressive to watch, man. It's just I just love how he plays the game, first and foremost. Um and probably the position he plays, you know, not enough guys do that, obviously. So um just his style and, and yeah. um I I just kind of gravitate towards guys that are willing to, you know, sacrifice their bodies to the degree and like he feels like every ball is his. Um yeah, I think back to when the Colts drafted Pittman and, and their area scout, Chris McGahow at West, is like, I never saw him lose a one-on-one rep. And that was probably the frustrating part of the rookie season for Pittman. I didn't feel like the Colts put him in enough one-on-one rep opportunities. You know, 50-50 balls, go make a play. Now they're doing that, and that's just going to make DBs panic even more. Man, mm-hmm. His physicality speaks for itself, but like they're going to start panicking even more and get grabby, and you can just tap into that. Um he, um, you need an alpha in that wideout group, and I think he is that. And without Hilton, without Paris Campbell, you needed it even more last night. And I just thought he flat out stepped it up. You know, I've always kind of laughed about you know when people try to tell me that spreading the ball around is better than having the one dominant guy. When people say my team spreads the ball around, it's because they don't have the dominant guy, like. You know, I was like, oh, the Colts are so much better off. They can spread it around, and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, okay, yeah, they spread it around because they don't have Stephon Diggs. They don't have Devontae Adams. And you look at the final four teams, and I've said this before in the NFL last year, they all had a dude. Adams, Diggs, Mike Evans, Kelsey, Tyreek, like whoever you want to throw out there for for Kansas City. Like you've got to have that dude that commands attention, and you trust in any sort of situation. And Pittman continues to show 
more and more of that. It's funny. I think the third he had that third down conversion in the fourth quarter too mm-hmm. before the game when he touched down. I tweeted at, at that point like I think he's a future number one wideout, and the the tweet was more of like I think he's like your long term number one wideout is probably what I what I should have said because. I said coming to the season, he's your number one right now. Like, Hilton is no longer your number one. Pittman, from a target standpoint, is your number one wideout. Um, so, obviously, it's it, it's Twitter. And, and, again, I probably should have clarified it more in the moment. So, people are like, well, no, no, he's a, he's a future number one now. Um, and, yes, he is. I mean, he's been that for you this, this entire season. But, like, I am starting to see – yeah, I think there's been some debate. Like, is Pittman a true one moving forward? Is he a one A? Is he a one? You know, what, what exactly is he? I think he's a legit. Has potential to be kind of a top twelve ish wideout in the NFL. Um, there's some really good receivers in the NFL, mm-hmm. obviously, but I think he has shown me that potential. Maybe one of the funnier comments I heard from Pittman was after the game, and you know, you could tell someone was doing a story like on the conditions. And just like you know how bad it was, right? And Pittman just very shortly was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think they were bad." <laughs> that was like his only response. Think of like Devo wideouts in that weather. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're like, "How many pairs of gloves? How many different you know height of my spikes and cleats?" I mean, they are just wilting under that weather. And Pittman was just like so nonchalantly, like, "I didn't think it was that bad." And like anyone else have any other questions? Like he just has a persona, man, that. Is big, um, so yeah, you know he said I, I'm drafted for plays like that, that third and ten play, and I think the quarterback you have now takes chances in those situations of like it's not always going to be pretty. There's going to be some in- incompletions. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? I actually think it was that Mosley kid, maybe. Uh, you know, got his hand on one of those balls in the end zone. I think attempted for Doolin or Kuti or one of them, and uh, had an opportunity there, but. Um, yeah, I, I just thought Michael Pittman really, really stepped up. And I think showed a national audience what we think he's capable of. And not only a national audience, former Colt <clears throat> Reggie Wayne was tweeting all night about Pittman. Talked about in that kind of weather, you're going to want to catch the ball with your body, which Pittman did numerous times. Multiple times he tweeted, okay, Michael Pittman's in the building. When you start to garner the respect and start to catch the eyes of those guys – future Hall of Famers, you're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if Reggie's really been around the team much, but I think they just know, you know, Michael Pittman's father, 10-year vet, and you guys know what my old saying is, there's no USC pretty boy. I mean, Michael Pittman, I'm not going to act like I've had a ton of interactions with him. I think I've interviewed him once or twice on the radio. Seems like a really nice kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seems like, you know, fun guy, like always joking around with, with players off the field and, and at practice and whatnot. Uh, seems like he's got a great personality. He puts on that helmet. Yeah, I don't Changes. know if he's Mike Pittman or, you know, I, I don't know what his alter ego is, but, man, um, he's – He's different. Yeah. In a good way. Well, the Colts win 30-18. to 18. Obviously, when we win, we like to talk about what you liked, but then we also do talk about what you didn't like. One of the things that we saw, a little bit more like the Tennessee game as well, early on, the bootleg action and the yeah. defense not being able to really kind of contain that. Yeah, it's a problem. And Ryan Tannehill, if he was watching that game, had to be kind of foaming at the mouth thinking, oh boy, um, if that's what they're reacting to Elijah Williams, how are they going to react to Derrick Henry in, in that bootleg action? So it's a concern. You need more discipline out of your DNs. And then I also just think the play action, Chris, I don't think guys are recognizing it quick enough and then finding out where they go in the zones quick enough. Now, I thought a big advantage happened is when that rain started to pick up. Mm-hmm. That kind of took away San Francisco's misdirection a little bit. A little bit harder to do that. I thought Shanahan got away from it as well, but I thought the weather contributed to some of that too. So uh, that's just a concern because it continues to be there. Um, and you know, it's not like you've got a bunch of – you're playing pretty much who you're supposed to play on the D-line. I guess Kamoko Terry was out, but we've seen Terry get sucked in on that mm-hmm. stuff as well. So um, – that was just a little bit concerning and something to watch moving forward. Then another thing you wanted to talk on, t- t- touch on, I should say, um, as good as he's been playing, Carson Wentz's decision-making yesterday 
not necessarily up to par as what you think it should be. Yeah, you know, I thought the first 20-ish minutes, it was really awful, um, to be honest with you. Um, now, the fact that you won the football game shows you something about mm-hmm. Carson clearly over overcoming that. But um, I thought the the um, interception fumble, whatever you want to call it, it looked like he was at, you know, yeah. a, a camp throwing a greased watermelon. I was like, oh, boy, what what's just eat it. Just eat it, man. Yeah. Just, you know, you you felt Bosa. That was the first escape. So, you know, Bosa is still there. And then Nelson got beat, too. And so you had that pressure on your face, which ended up. Um, leading to the again the fumble interception, whatever you want to call it there. Um, so I thought that was a stupid decision. I, I thought he had several others in in that first twenty minutes. It could have been like that turnover by Leonard again. We all circle plays. I circle the Leonard punch out. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody mentioned the second and fifteen scramble by Wentz. That's up there. But for me, that Leonard punch out it occurs on a third and twelve at the twenty eight yard line with 310 to go in the first half. I mention that here because what does that do? Instead of a 40-yard punt or whatever to flip field position and making the Colts drive the length of the field, Mm -hmm. now the Colts are at the San Francisco 28-yard line. Short field, boom, they convert it. Wentz got away with almost giving San Francisco several short fields early. So it's fire. It's why we pointed out at the end of the Dolphins game that is fire that you got away with in letting the Dolphins get back in the game. You can't do that against good football teams. The next week, you play with fire against Baltimore, you get burned. So that's why we're pointing it out. That decision-making, it's an anomaly. We haven't seen that from Carson this year. I mean, he's the turnover-worthy plays, you know. That, that's that been a huge strength of his. Um, so I want to mention that. I also, and I know this is what I didn't like, but I thought Carson did a great job with his legs. Mm-hmm. Like, the RPO stuff was masterful. His decision-making, the threat, the ability, and that second of 15 scramble was just huge. So that's, to me, I noticed the legs more yesterday than I've noticed them all year long. Now, he's been hurt, so it doesn't surprise me, but you didn't have those plays in your playbook last year hell you didn't have it in your playbook last month yeah with how banged up Carson was so um that was bad the decision making but I still think Carson gave you some good and taking the chances down the field as well but I thought um his ability to do some RPO stuff and that scramble were just huge huge quick side note question here for you did Nelson play about what you thought he would yeah, I mean, he, I, you could tell. I mean, first off, did you see what that ankle looked like? It looked like he had a spaceship on his yeah, right, right ankle. I was like, jeez. Um, yeah, a l- little bit of a struggle. And did you notice Chris Reed, you know, outsnap Mark Lewinsky pretty significantly? Mm-hmm. So that's something. Um, you got the glow beard going now that I'm. I do. I've, I'm sure people have mentioned that too. Got to get it shaped up at Reds downtown. Yeah, um, looks good. Um, so, yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. But, uh, yeah, obviously, Nelson. Jeffrey Simmons and company. That's a good, good interior. Rush. I thought I was pretty impressed by Tennessee's front yesterday. Yeah. Well, just a little side question there for me, but a lot of people will probably want to know, and I know you want to touch on this: the unfortunate secondary depth and Julian Blackman going down. Just speak on that for a little bit. Yeah, I did want to before we get to Twitter questions. Let's hit uh, quickly on Blackman. Um, massive. Mm-hmm. Just massive. Um, you know, I've had buddies of mine or, you know, whatever. We get tweets into this podcast, kind of text me like, hey, man, whose jersey do you think I should get right, you know, yeah. moving forward? And it's like, I feel like Blackman is a good choice. Um, love the way he plays the game. Makes plays at every level. I mean, I think back to that play against Houston where he just smoked uh, maybe Lindsey or somebody on kind of a jet sweep. Like, he's not just a free safety back end. This is a guy that played the second most snaps of any player last year, and he missed the first game due to that torn ACL. Had played the second most snaps this year behind Okereke. By the way, I think Okariki taped that. I assume he taped that during the summer, and then he realized That's, yeah, his uh, last name was different, or mm-hmm. I guess that he wanted people to call him differently. Yeah, because on the on the radio broadcast on the fan yesterday, he said Okereke, yeah. and then on, on the TV, he said Okariki. So, yeah. As if we're not confused enough. Um <laughs> You know, he's just got cornerback instincts at safety, so he's got the coverage instincts, but yet he plays the game with a physicality that is like a safety. And um, your answers on the roster aren't pretty. Andrew Sandejo and jo- George Odom are not pretty. Um, Josh Jones is on your 
practice squad, 13 starts last year with Jacksonville. Maybe he's an option. I know there are some safeties on the open market. Do you try and find a Mike Mitchell type, uh, you know, Mike Adams type? Kenny Vaccaro and Trey Boston are two guys that the Colts have brought in for visits before and obviously have experience in this league. So Mm -hmm. we'll see how it all plays out. But, man, you know, Chris Bauer feels like he's got all pro sort of potential and you didn't feel it last week, but you got a feeling, Chris, that you're going to feel that yeah. at some point, that that position. We'll see when TJ Carey gets off IR. Sounds like that could happen, like not done for the year um, sort of situation there because Carey was taking a lot of safety snaps in camp. Uh, but, yeah, I wanted to ma- mention this. Just feel terrible for the kid and a really crushing blow for, I think, in terms of like reliable players on this football team, I don't know if there's many more in the reliable category than yeah. Uh, Quickly, other side of the ball, obviously one of the big big stories last week. Jacob Eason no longer on the Colts team, got waived. Thoughts there? Yeah, I, I just want to touch on Eason um, a little bit here. I was actually surprised he got claimed. Um, you know, shows you how desperate kind of um, Seattle is. Um, you know, my thing with, with Eason is he goes from backup week one and week two to mm-hmm. – all of a sudden, this guy is your fourth stringer, and you you expose him to waivers, which means there's no guarantee that you get him back, and then boom. Um, so when Frank Reich says, you know, I just think Jacob needs more time, you know, it's playing time in games, it's being in more competitive situations, I'm thinking to myself, you took him out of those situations. Like, you're saying he needs it. But you've taken him away from that. So it's the Colts' fault that they did not give Jacob Eason these opportunities. So, I, you know, I, I hear this, like, Jacob had every opportunity. Well, not really. The dude played in one one preseason, yep. had one training camp, and got in for five snaps with, like, two minutes to go in a game. Mm-hmm. Like, when you draft Jacob Eason and you're sitting there and you're evaluating those quarterbacks in the 2020 draft and Easton's name comes up and you're the West Area West scout or whatever you're saying, guys, if we take him, the word patience must be practiced and there must be a commitment to really helping him grow. And this is a two- to three-year maturation because the dude has barely played college football compared to most drafted quarterbacks. And I don't think the Colts did that with him. And, like, you know, I hear this again, how do you – you know, he's got to get more time, this and that. It's like Brett Hundley, as a fifth-round pick of the Green Bay Packers, became the backup in his second year. Probably not ideal. I'm sure Green Bay people were clamoring for, you know, oh, let's go get a veteran backup, this and that, blah, blah, blah. But, like, you got to see what you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I disagree with the Colts on, um, on Eason there and, yeah, I was making this analogy last week on the morning show. I always was just kind of like quarterback character on a 1 to 10 scale is different than any other character scale on a football team. If Ellinger is a 10, Eason's like a 5. Don't think of for one second like Jacob Eason's a bad human. He's not at all. But just that peak level character. And when you throw in character, I think you throw in like kind of football acumen, how do you mm-hmm. handle the playbook, those sorts of things. And I felt like the Colts just kind of bailed on that a little bit earlier. Um, you know, from day one, day one, the first day Jacob Eason became a Colt and Sam Ellinger became a Colt, Chris Ballard is talking like about Ellinger, like he's a valedictorian. And he talks about Eason like, He's the jock that just stole all the alcohol <laughs> and the parties at, you know, Chris's house tonight. Like, I don't think – I say I don't think Ballard ever really, really liked him, like fully, fully liked him. But then I'm thinking to myself, why the hell did they commit to him being the backup then for so much of the offseason? Yeah. Uh, that, that that doesn't add up to me. But, um, <clears throat> you know me, I want my backup to have developmental traits. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think the situation right now has that. So, um, yeah, we'll see how Easton does in Seattle. I'm not really holding my breath. Again, more than half the battle when you draft quarterbacks, Chris, is you got to commit to developing them. You have, like, 
Jacob Beeson was thrown into an awful situation last year with the pandemic. Had an offseason this year. It's really kind of his first offseason. And then, boom. Yeah. You decide to bail on him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I can't I can't get behind that, but whatever. All right. Things you like, things you didn't like. Blackman, Eason. Let's jump to Twitter questions. First one comes from Tanner, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. Hates to bring up the word that we were very gritty with the win. But the way the AFC is playing out, especially in the wild card spots with Kansas City, the Browns, and then the recent struggles, and the Raiders barely squeaking by, what do you think about the Colts making the playoffs this year? Well, um, boy, that's that's loaded right now. Okay, right now, division leaders, Chris. Tell me if I have these wrong. Um, you got the Bills, uh, Bengals, right? Yeah, Bengals are number one in the AFC, I believe. Bills, Bengals. Um, obviously, you've got... Uh, Gosh, out west is the Raiders, and then you get, then you got the Titans, mm-hmm. you know, Chargers and um, what Chargers and Ravens would those be the top two wild card teams right Buffalo, now? Buffalo, Cincinnati, Tennessee, Vegas, and then Chargers and Ravens would be yes. So it comes down to that final spot then if you're going to look there, assuming the Colts don't win the AFC South. I mean, you can't, you got to bet on Kansas City, right? Are they dead? Well, I have been, and it's not been working out well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're 16 to 1 odds right now to win it all if you're, if you're feeling, you know, frisky. You would think with the way the West is, but. What about Cleveland? I'm hearing people of... talking about replacing Baker Mayfield in the draft, and there's no quarterbacks really. I mean, we're kind of, we, we thought we were in the same boat earlier with the way Carson was playing. Um this year's NFL draft is not good for quarterbacks, so I don't know about Cleveland. Yeah, you know, right now, Tanner, to your question, I don't feel great about the Colts um, and their playoff hopes. Obviously, I feel much better after the win last night, but, God, what Tennessee's done the last few weeks is so impressive mm-hmm. and, and huge. You get into the wild card, and it's just assuming the Chargers and Bengals hang in there, then it's Chiefs, Browns, and Colts for one spot, and I guess you throw New England in there. That East is so bad. Yeah. New England's probably going to win some games. Now, the Colts and Patriots play each other in December. That could be huge. Uh, the Steelers are kind of that awkward team that's lurking, but, I mean, is the AFC North really going to get all those teams in? So, um, God, Sunday's huge. You yes. know, Chris, I wrote this last night in my last point of five things learned. Mm-hmm. Sunday is the biggest October football game this franchise has seen in years. Years. It sounds like such a hyperbole, just stupid comment when I say it out loud, but I stand by it. Obviously, Peyton Manning is a return game, but that totally different category. Yeah. Emotions, crying, you know, cheering on Mathis, strip sack, all that. Mm -hmm. From a standing standpoint, from a team that hasn't won the division since 2014, from a team that's won one playoff game in that same time frame, this game is just monumental, monumental to all of that. I thought I saw the early line as the Colts favored. Thought I saw that. Um, so we'll see how that plays out the rest of the week. But um, Tanner, so much of that can shift on Sunday. So much of it. Yeah. A win, and it's probably a straight-up coin flip the rest of the way to make the playoffs. Yeah, because the Titans are in a tough stretch right now. Yeah. Or you thought they were. I mean, well, the Titans. Still, I think they have the Rams next week. So, I mean, again, when are they going to be human for once, Tennessee? But um, they do have an easier schedule the rest of the way than the Colts. But still, I, I do. You know, if you win on Sunday, you're one game back of them, and you've split the head to head. That's obviously huge. Um, you lose chance to win in the division are minuscule, and yeah. it's another conference divisional loss and. Um, all right, yeah, another conference divisional loss, so that's what hurts as well. Touched on this a little bit earlier, but Caleb has a good point here. <laughs> Is it a skill to throw the ball into pass interferences? Because if so, Carson Wentz did really well, <laughs> or is it just the aggressiveness of the San Francisco defense? Boy, aggressiveness sounds really politically correct. I might call it stupidity. Um, <laughs> Chris, good things happen when you take shots. Take chances. I, I don't think teams do that enough. Like it is very hard to defend a deep ball mm-hmm. in football, let alone the NFL. And then you throw in sloppy conditions 
and you throw in referees knowing that you lead the league in pass interference penalties, and you throw in 6'4", 200, and Pittman, good things happen. And, like, I was, you know, they had a third and 20. They have a third and 22, or am I imagining things? I don't they handed off to Hines maybe on, like, third and a million or something. Yeah. I was thinking take a shot there. Like, okay, it's a punt if it gets picked off. You know, like, that to me, is it a skill to throw it in pass interference? <laughs> Like some of the balls are underthrown. It was windy. I'm not going to critique like Wentz's like ball placement with those. The fact that he just took the chances, yeah, something a lot of quarterbacks would not do. Um, and credit the O line for offering some opportunities to get the ball down the field at various points as well. But uh, yeah, I, skill. I don't know. Um, sure, a couple of those deep balls could have been thrown a little bit better, but it's simply just like. I don't really know how to describe it, Chris, but it was just kind of like it was like a Jenga tower, and the 49ers were like the blacked out dude at 3 a.m. trying to play Jenga. <laughs> it's just like this is not going to end well, you no. know. They're just running into players, and they could have thrown ten flags on some of those plays. Yeah, I mean, and some of it might have been. I'd have to go back and look at s- some more game film, but the arc on Carson Wentz's passes last night was very high. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, I mean, I thought Collinsworth, actually, I, th- I thought Collinsworth was pretty good. I know people kind of rip on him, but um, I thought he did a nice job last night. I thought he pointed out really well how, like, Jimmy G was taking so much off his passes just to try and, you know, get that spiral, keep it consistent. You know, I, I do think both quarterbacks were impacted with their throwing style and whatnot, but take chances, baby. Yeah. Carson did it. And, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, Chris. Shout out to Frank Reich. He said it on Friday. Mm-hmm. Frank can be a bit stubborn with some of that stuff, but, like, it made sense. I'm like, all right, you get in the environment, you see what you're dealing with, you know when you have the win, when you don't have the win, things like that. You got a big-arm QB, boom. Can you imagine Rivers throwing those deep balls? No. Whew. That's when they would bring in Jacoby. Yeah, they'd be like, <laughs> do they still drop the things from the from the uh, balcony at, like, Pacers-Colts games, little with parachute things? The parachutes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that'd be yep. That'd be Uncle Phil in that in that environment. Evan wants to know from you, Kevin. What do you What are your thoughts on Pryor playing left tackle once Braden Smith comes back? Mm, no, no, you got to live with Fisher. I, it's run blocking's been really good from Eric Fisher. It's just a pass ball. And to be fair, Nick Bosa is a stud. But um, yeah, I don't. Has Matt Pryor ever played left tackle? If he has, no way he's started over there for more than a game or two. Hasn't practiced over there in eons, so Eric Fisher will be this team's left tackle for I'd be very surprised if it wasn't the entire season. Like you're just and this is just kind of this is kind of what came with signing him. Yeah. You were gonna have to live with some of this. Um I am surprised they haven't helped him out more uh on game days, but Frank just doesn't really love to do that. Got a three parter from Craig, gonna take it one at a time here for you. This I like is, that. This is all running back related. Okay. Once to get your take on this running back situation, question one, Jonathan Taylor has roughly half the carries that Derrick Henry has. Are we saving Taylor for something else down the line? Well, when you're one and four at one point, I don't know what you're saving him for. Um, I mean, comparing anyone to Henry is probably ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, that dude's a freak. But to your point, Craig, yeah, I, I don't. I'm okay spelling him at times. I'm more confused about who they're spelling him with. Number two, is Hines overrated or has he been poorly used by Frank Reich? Yeah, I thought Hines struggled last night. Um, I think he's at 3.4 a carry. Um, you know, at times I, I do think he's underutilized. You know, Obviously he had the huge drop last night. Yeah. I think he has two catches in his last three games, Chris. Which is not like him. Yeah. I was at that wedding a few weeks ago, and this dude's cornering me about Naeem Hines and PPR League, and I'm like, geez, dude, I am not here for that. But then I, you know, just how my dumb brain works, I, like, walk back to the hotel bar thinking, oh, I think I actually had a point. Uh, anyways, <laughs> he probably wasn't too happy about Hines uh, last night. Yeah, I uh, I just think Hines needs touches. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I just think there's some sort of consistent – you know, to me, obviously last night would have been the exact play, Hines in the open field, but like like Hines on a crosser, Hines in open field, like a couple more chances where it's like it's not a screen and you give him 
you know, some yards to right rev up that engine because I I don't think the first guy often brings him down there. So, um, Hines between the tackles was last year the anomaly. That's a question, but last night, you know, how, how much of that was weather related? And then Craig's third question: Why are we even playing Marlon Mack? Yeah, it's um. Craig, I would say what's the most head-scratching is, like, they're playing Marlon Mack, but they're giving him the ball nearly every time he's on the field. Mm -hmm. The dude had four snaps last night and three carries. Yeah. (laughs) What? And, like, there were a couple games earlier this year where he had a super high percentage of, of touches for snaps, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, this is, like... This is not the big man in seventh grade who you know is going to get in foul trouble, so you got to give him the ball, you know, so much. All right. Mm -hmm. The week before, Chris, nine snaps, five carries. The week before that, ten snaps, five carries. You imagine touching the ball 50, 55. Is that 55? I hope it is. 55% and 75% of the time on the field. Doesn't that make it easier on the defense too? Like you know, when he goes in, he's getting the yeah. ball. Yeah, <laughs> and the defense is probably like, "Wait, what? You you sure you want to give him the ball?" Right. Yeah. Um, I don't get it, man. Last two weeks, eight carries for sixteen yards. Just, uh, and then people are like, they're trying to increase his trade value. That is such a just throw in the towel mode by an NFL team. You imagine the Colts lost that game last night, and Jonathan Taylor had one carry in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Which he did. I mean, he, he had one carry in the fourth quarter. Like, this podcast will be a lot different today. Yeah, it's just, again, we talked about it earlier. It's just like that win was huge. You needed it, mm-hmm. all that. But there are still some fire, fire. I'm like, oh, boy, oh, boy, you know. <laughs> yes, you do play Mike White, the former IU basketball player, Mike White. You play Jacksonville coming up. But then you play Buffalo and Tampa. Like, you're not necessarily getting away with that against some of these teams, so. Craig, uh, running back usage been interesting. How much is that Scotty Montgomery, you know, Tom Rathman, you know, handled play play time for his mm-hmm. running back? I mean, if I'm Frank Reich, I'm saying in the game, Jonathan Taylor's fumbled it twice in the NFL. Like, you got to try. Like, the inabil- being afraid to give Jonathan Taylor the ball late in a game really hurts. Yeah. And... I don't understand it. I'll ask Frank that later today. Daniel loves the way that Michael Pittman's been playing. Seems that there's more trust with Carson Wentz more and more for big plays every week. Is Pittman our wide receiver number one? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, Pittman, um, he was wide receiver number one already. Like, yeah, it, it's. I think wide receiver number one means two things, Chris. Are you the number one wide receiver on your football team? Yes, Michael Pittman is that. Mm-hmm. And then when you talk wide receiver one, now he gets compared to the rest of the NFL. And it's like, that's a different debate. You know, yeah. that's like, you know, that's like, okay. He's not a top 10 wideout in the NFL right now. But is he like, you know, in the 15 to 20 range? I don't know. I'm just throwing numbers off the top of my head. But that sounds about right. Um, yeah, Pittman is that. Yes. Got a question coming from the UK. This one's from Joe. Let's go, Joe. Wants to know what you think about Kylan Granson's development. Has Mo Ali Cox's impact on the game kind of stifled his time a little bit, even though he feels like he's pretty good at run blocking as well? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Granson hasn't played a whole lot. I want to say it's like nine snaps the last two weeks. So um, his <clears throat> development has been a little slower. I thought they could find a package for him, Chris, and I haven't seen that as yeah. much as I thought they would. So um, who knows? Maybe is that you know kind of second-year thing? You got some... Stuff dialed up, but uh, Hallie Cox and Doyle, and I think Mo. I mean, Mo is probably out snapping Jack at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a little bit slow for old uh, old, old grandson. We're going to go back to the offensive line from a question from Pierre, who wants to know your thoughts between Chris Reed and Glowinski. Feels like Chris Reed has actually looked pretty good this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Reed double snap count they obviously showcased him last night i think to me it's like all right does reed start you know as yeah. quickly as sunday uh one thing to note chris is mark glowinski 
I think you got to commend him. Last night was the first time he missed a snap in like 38 games or something. That's astonishing. Yeah. Um, late in the 2018 season, that was the last time Glowinski wasn't on the field. So his availability, you think about all the times Kelly's been banged up and now Braden's been banged up and obviously Nelson, like, Glowinski's been out there. So I know that doesn't sound like the greatest compliment. It's like, oh, yeah, she had a great personality. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's a compliment. Um, but, yeah, Chris Reed definitely looks like a guy right now that Glowinski's in a contract year. I, I I don't see the need to bring him back, right? Yeah. We got a question from Flippin. You kind of t- you touched on this about two questions ago. I don't know if you want to expand a little more. Wants to know why we're playing Marlon Mack, considering he looks awful. Yeah. Well, boy, that's that's direct and to the point. Um, <laughs> couple things here that I, that I want to hit. I'm glad that you still read this, Chris. Jordan Wilkins. I know it's a mystery right now. Um, he's been out with a non-football illness. I don't. I don't know. You know. Is, is staph infection considered a football illness? And then, like, you know, the flu. I I, I have no idea what, right. what that means. I asked Frank Reich point Blake Friday, you know, about Wilkins. Can you share with us what he's dealing with? No. So, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't understand. Uh, the absence now is three weeks. It sounds like he'll be back to practice next week for what it's worth. Um, oh, speaking of illnesses, Blushing. geez. <laughs> Kevin, boy, from the parking lot there, that sneeze. <laughs> with Mac, I just, you know, I, I feel like I get into it with somebody, you know, probably like two people every week on Twitter, you know, wants to come at me about Mac and, oh, he should still be touching the ball. And, like, you know, how can you say this after he was supposed to be the one two punch with Taylor? And then he suffered a devastating injury. Achilles he was injury supposed sucks. to. Sucks. Exactly. Thank you for the past tense reference there. Yeah. I mean, like, it's brutal. Achilles suck. For anybody, let alone a running back. So, mm-hmm. has Mac looked okay and serviceable? <clears throat> Maybe. I, I I don't even know if I'd feel comfortable saying that. But he just lacks a burst, and I think it's it can be a bit wasted carries. I know that sounds harsh, but I get you want to spell Taylor to a degree. But I I if Wilkins was healthy, I'd be giving those carries to Wilkins, like. Fisher at left tackle, you don't have other left tackles to turn to. Just reality of where you're at right now. Running back, you've got some other running backs. You know, you don't have to give Marlon Mack these touches. Lord, and you definitely don't need to, you know, give him 75%, 60% of the touches yeah. when he's on the field, things like that. Two-parter from Jason. We're going to go on each side of the football. Based on early returns, is the Heinz extension a bust? He's averaging less than five yards per touch. <clears throat> and for a running back, he's supposed to be a pass-catching back, and he's not getting those either. Yeah, um, I, I think it's too early to say. I, I still think Heinz is a weapon and needed. I also think a big thing that played into him getting that contract extension is his durability, his availability. So I think that's something as well. Let's go to the cornerback position with another fan favorite. How has Kenny Moore regressed so much when he's been put in man coverage and sometimes also in zone? He seems to have struggled this year. A far cry from the 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 way that we've seen him playing in training camp and other seasons. Yeah, I, I do think Moore has struggled in coverage. Those plays he makes the line of scrimmage are so good, though. Yeah, they are. He makes so many of them. But, um, yeah, I, I do think there's been some troubles. Uh Last night he really got turned around, I think on that touchdown, if I'm not mistaken there. If you look at – I looked at some of the numbers earlier. I believe it's it's a career high in passer rating and it's a career high in uh, completion percentage allowed. So, um, yeah, Kenny, you need a little bit better there because usually that's been a pretty winnable matchup for the Colts and typically teams don't say that about their slot guy. Colin writes in wondering if you looked at Twitter the last week or so Paris Campbell's kind of had some vague tweets about potentially returning this season. Do you think that could happen? Another question I threw to Frank Reich on Friday. I know sometimes those Friday pressers can kind of get lost in the shuffle there, but uh, two to three months. So, what, surgery, you know, Christmas-ish? Yeah. I think he said, what, hashtag Christmas or something Is that like what that? he said yeah. on Twitter? Yeah, so that would be, you know, what, three games ago in the regular season at that point. So, I'm sure a lot depends on where you're at. Obviously, that's the front end of that two- to three-month time frame, and uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. 
Brian knows that Carson Wentz early in the season didn't play very well, but if he ends up being legit good, isn't the first-round pick just a fair value at this certain point? And are you okay with that cost? Um, Sure, yeah. You know, I, I think it's the price of kind of doing business, so I, I understand that. And, you know, people are frustrated because they don't want to give up money and picks. Right. But, like, how else are you going to acquire a proven – QB um, who has had some flaws like that's just <laughs> that's the reality of it um, and folks let's be clear the first round pick is gone I mean unless Carson Wentz gets seriously injured dude hasn't missed a snap <laughs> we're, we're seven weeks into the yeah, season no, so uh, the whole resting Wentz at points and whatever like that is not happening so um, yeah did you see that there was a Twitter like Carson snap counter or whatever yeah 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 i mean that they could probably stop that at some point here coming yeah. up um so yeah I, I in an ideal world you'd have that first round pick um you want to support him with other you know assets offensively defensively and whatnot but as of right now i'd be stunned if uh if you weren't given a first round pick and yeah that's probably like fair market value um the bigger debate again just comes in like where do you rank Wentz in terms of like quarterbacks? Like mm-hmm. I, I would say kind of the final hurdle for Wentz, and he hasn't really been put in too many of these situations yet, but is like big time competition, big time moments in the fourth quarter, leading those monumental drives. That is what really will ascend him to be in whatever yeah. top eight, top whatever one. I think he's right kind of in that ten to twelve situation right now. Um which, you know, you trade a first-round pick for a top 10-12 quarterback, that's that's probably what it calls for yeah. in the NFL. Um, so, yeah. We got four more, but we'll stick with uh, Carson Wentz right here. Question from CMC. He knows that it was kind of a problem in Philly with the way Carson Wentz was looked at in the locker room. How are the Colts looking at him in the locker room right now? I think great, fondly. You know, I, the thing about Wentz that probably helps him, and I thought Luck had some of this that helps him resonate so much in the locker room, is like, don't you love how the dude plays the quarterback position? You know? I mean, sure, it makes some fans probably cry at some point when he <laughs> takes those hits, but, like, those 52 guys love it. Yeah. So his actions were great in the offseason of going around and, you know, whatever, hanging out with all these guys and whatnot, but it's also like, here we go. This dude plays the game of football the way yeah. that we like it to be played. So, um, yeah, I think he's doing, you know, as I, I go back to the uh, Chris Long and uh, what's the DB's name from Philly, um, Malcolm, like, Malcolm Jenkins. Jenkins. Yeah. He's like, as long as we won, we didn't care. <laughs> like, yeah. point blank period. You win, people will be happy. Right. All right, this one's from Jason. Knowing that the Colts obviously play Tennessee and Buffalo coming up, were you more impressed or surprised that Buffalo lost to Tennessee or that Tennessee beat Buffalo? Well, Buffalo's my Super Bowl pick, so I, I probably would go with Tennessee up, upsetting them. Um, and I just think how they did it, you know, body blows back and forth, kind of yeah. a high-scoring game. Obviously the big short yardage situation there and, yeah, I feel like we've always done a good job on this podcast, Chris, of mentioning. I think we've always kind of given Tennessee more credit than most because, again, in this market, we don't think the Titans are very good because the Colts have often had their number head-to-head. They've had five straight winning seasons. Yeah. On their way to a sixth. You know how hard that is in the NFL? Like, different head coaches, different quarterbacks. It's not like they've had this, like, Manning, Dungy, you know, yeah, Belichick, Brady, right. boom. Like, obviously, Henry is Henry. But, like, Derrick Henry's not always been like this. So, um, major credit to what – and I know it, it hasn't been, like, 12, 13 win seasons deep. Playoff runs, sure. They, they've had a couple playoff um, playoff appearances and, and some big moments. But, you know, you got to give them credit for how they've built things. And I think Mike, Mike Vrabel's created a big-time culture there because they haven't hit on all these draft picks. And they've had some injuries. Mm-hmm. And yet, <coughs> here they are right now. I Probably call them the hottest team in the AFC, right? Yeah, and I mean, yesterday I was listening to a pregame show with Harry Douglas was talking on ESPN Radio that him and Brian Arakbo were texting after week two saying, Derrick Henry is changing who he is as a player. He's not just a, a body blow guy anymore. 
his agility, his versatility, is just the way that he's catching passes. He's a dangerous man. He's an absolute freak. He is a freak of nature. Um, I don't know how to describe him other than that. It was just, yeah, I mean, the amount of touches he has is just astronomical to me, and the dude just doesn't seem to get hurt ever. And, like, take serious shots. Freak. Good one here from Alec. Um, If the Colts beat Tennessee at the end of the month and win at least three of their next four games, how likely is it that the game against Buffalo gets flexed to Sunday night over the Steelers and the Chargers? And if that's the case, pardon me, since he's making the trip, should he tell his boss that he won't be in on Monday? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alec, uh, that's a fair question. You know, that game is Western New York. Um, love, love that that environment. Alec will be awesome for you. So I, I looked this up. Uh, the other games that week, Chris. Mm-hmm. Currently, Steelers Chargers is Sunday Night Football. That's a pretty good Sunday Night Football matchup. Again, yeah, it is. What do they want? They want quarterbacks. Yes. And that's what you're getting there. A couple other matchups that are good that week: Bengals Raiders. <laughs> All of a sudden, that's a good matchup. Right. Uh, Cardinals Seahawks. Any time you got to think Wilson's going to be back, right? Sounds mm-hmm. like he's going to be back. Somewhat soon here. Um, so, yeah, I don't – and I also got to look up Buffalo. Aren't you only allowed to be in primetime like five times in a season, I think is the rule there. That might be something where they want to, I don't know, save Buffalo for that. I don't know how many times they've been in primetime already. Yeah, and, and Buffalo used to have a, a rule where they could not be in late primetime games because the fans start tailgating at 6 a.m. regardless. Oh, wow. And so there were actually some casualties in rivers around the area where people would stumble and <laughs> – God, that as much as I want to say that's awesome, that is so sad. But yeah, yeah, that environment, dude. It's a college, college it's football. Amazing. Yeah, it's an awesome scene. I love that. I love, love the fact that Buffalo has an NFL football franchise. Yeah, and now finally back. So I'm going to say no, Alec. But boy, <clears throat> predicting flexing. I mean, come on now. That's that's way above my my pay grade. <laughs> Um, second to last one, because I got one from uh, Twitter earlier, Kevin, that I'm going to read to you. Um, this one's from Adam. Wants to know, with the way that the Chiefs are playing, who's more who's more likely to make the playoffs, the Colts or the Chiefs? Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I got to go with the Chiefs. I just... You got to think they get it together. It's not like they've got like these devastating injuries or things like that, which I don't know. Maybe we'll look at that two ways. Like what happens when injuries do start to creep up for them. But I mean, right now, if you're making me pick like an, an AFC playoff, I'll probably pick the top six teams right now. So Buffalo, Cincy, Tennessee, Raiders, um, Baltimore, and um, the Chargers would be the top mm-hmm. two wild card. And then I go with Kansas City. Browns, unknown on the Colts. Ask me in seven days. All right, this is another fun one just to end the podcast with Twitter questions from Adam. He wants to know if Chris Ballard went undercover boss. What's the locker room saying? Oh, wow. Okay. So if, like, if true he, serum? He said if he joined as undercover, <clears throat> an undercover kicker. Yeah. As we now have Bagley and, you know, we're bringing in other kickers to try out. What does he hear from that locker room? Yeah, I think he hears mostly good things. I don't, you know, I think it's weird, Chris. Like, NFL locker room, you got 53 dudes. That's 53 dudes with far different agendas. And job security is probably what I should reference more. So, um, how Kamoko Ture might feel is a little bit different than how DeForest Buckner might feel. Um, So, I think it's about who you, you know, who he's... Running up, running up against. Yeah. You know, I, I think that is kind of the thing. But I think for the most part, the guys like that locker room. I think they appreciate the coaching staff. So I don't think you've got this internal dysfunction issues from GM. And um, I think he's given pretty fair contracts to guys. I know the Grigson regime, there's some questions about second contracts with that. Granted, there weren't many guys to get second contracts. But, um, yeah, I think it all depends on who you, who you talk to, who you ask. Very fair. All right, that does it for Twitter questions. Cool. He is Chris Presley. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week next week. Looking ahead to next week. Uh, obviously, a game on Sunday. Huge. Titans, we know. Uh, so, podcast Monday. And then, Chris, if it works for you, let's come back on Friday. Colts got two games next week. Yeah, love it. So, that would be Friday the 5th of November there before the mini-buy. So, 
Uh, let's do two next week. I didn't look. How was uh, quarterback for the Jets? I heard he went down. Yeah, Zach Wilson. Wilson? He's going to miss time. It sounds like at least two weeks. So okay. Um, unfortunately, the name I mentioned earlier, Mike White. You know, um, Mark Dyson said today sounds like a creative player in a Madden video game. <laughs> you know, yep, that's probably fair. I believe he was an IU basketball player, Mike White. So. Yeah, unfortunately, that was kind of one I was looking forward to. Like, oh, Zach Wilson slinging it around Thursday night football. That would be kind of fun to watch. And yep. Nope, that is not happening with his, I think it's a PCL injury, if I'm not mistaken there. So, okay. Um, yeah, Colts will face Mike White and then Trevor Lawrence, it looks like, as their inexperienced quarterback carousel. Takes a week off. Yep. But then... Two in a row, and then you got a few more late with Mac Jones and maybe Davis Mills again. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anything else? No. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Happy Halloween to everybody out there. He is Chris Presley. I am Kevin Bowen. We'll talk to you next week on Kevin's Corner. This has been Kevin Bowen. Thank you for listening to another edition of Kevin's Corner. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher for the best Colts and Pacers coverage.